0: Our current series is focusing on some of the hard sayings of Jesus. Last week, Ed spoke on three simple words that Jesus gave us do not worry and uh, which we know are, uh, th- those, those words are, are easier said than done, which is really the case with so many of these words that Jesus gives us, these hard sayings. This week, we're focusing on Jesus' instructions to deny ourselves. And we get this from Luke chapter 9, verse 23, 26. In the NRSV, it says this, that Jesus told his disciples... If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. I'm not sure there's more of a foreign concept to our culture today self-denial gratification regardless of the cost is not only encouraged and celebrated but it's expected in our culture as a basic human right and we live in an entitled selfish self-absorbed culture that um, is if you want to raise the ire of people in our culture today uh, just try telling them that there's something that they can't do or shouldn't do or something that's not good for them, but it's something that they want to do and see what kind of response that comes our way. And so there ends up being this, this idea that, that um, uh, self-gratification and, and all of these things uh, is at the top of our list. And Jesus tells us that if we want to be his follower, we must deny ourselves. And these are indeed uh, difficult words and hard words for many of us in our culture today. Uh, If you've been around here for a while, you'll know that I appreciate the finer things in life. And I confess I would much rather indulge than deny myself. And so during Christmas break, um, we decided to do a family holiday to Vancouver. We didn't uh, buy a lot of presents up front and that kind of thing. We thought, you know what, let's kind of keep Christmas basic this year. And between Christmas and New Year's, we decided let's go to take the girls. Uh, I have three daughters who are all into getting into makeup and all that kind of stuff. And so the big city in Vancouver and Boxing Day shopping and Robson Street and seemed pretty appealing to everybody. And so we decided, why don't we make a family uh, time and do that? And um, when I go to Vancouver, I really like to experience what the city has to offer. Uh, I found a great deal on a fancy hotel, the kind of place that when you you pull up out front to check in, the guy in the uniform comes out with an umbrella and, and opens your door and you get out, and he says, hello, sir, so good to have you, sir. Checking in, are you? here, and he, and he gives us a tag, and he takes the car, and it gets parked, and the bags end up in the room, and they walk you to the door, and as you come in, another person says, hello, sir, are you checking in with us? And, and before I know it, I'm sitting down with a drink in my hand, and, and the iPad front desk comes to me, and I don't have to wait in line, and you get checked in, and, and, and once you get checked in, I'm no longer sir, and I, and I don't get called sir because I'm, I'm, I'm old, I don't think, but, but uh, it's there's just no substitute for customer service. I love customer service. And, uh, and once I check in and they find out who I am for the rest of my stay, I'm no longer Sir. I'm now Mr. Johnson. And that is a really great thing to be greeted as Mr. Johnson in the morning. And, um, and so that's the kind of place that I, I love to stay in. And, and you know, the, the magic of the internet, sometimes you can find those for a, for a pretty good deal. And during our time in Vancouver, we, we went to see the Cirque du Soleil show, uh, we shopped in all these cool boutiques and chic stores that uh, we just don't have in Kelowna. Uh, we started one day at the flagship Aritzia store uh, down on Robson. And uh, after about a half hour or so, I was bored. Like, I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, if I do shop, I power shop. Like, I'm in and I'm out and I'm to the next one. I've bagged my kill. Let's, let's move on. But my daughters and my wife, like, they were in Arezia. It was like, ah. And so uh, after a half hour, I took my little one, Ava, my buddy who got, who got baptized this morning, and I said, why don't we go and find something to do? And she's like, yeah. And so we, we took off. We walked all the way down Robson, went all the way to the, the end where English Bay and the ocean. We stopped and had a, a cappuccino and a croissant and an espresso. And we, we hung out. We saw everything. We did both sides of Robson. And it was like two or three hours, and we still hadn't heard from Ange and the girls. And so I'm like, you know, I like calling her up or texting her like, hey, where are you? What's going on? She's like, oh, we're still in Aritzia. And I just like, Whoa. I just couldn't believe it. Like one store, I'm doing the math. Like there's no way we're going to get through Robson Street in, uh, in our couple of days there. And, um, and so over over the three days that we were there, I soaked in the culture of the big city and I liked every glorious moment of it. I loved the, the cappuccinos and pastries and the funky little coffee shops. I loved the lobster eggs benny and charcuterie platters and the hip restaurants. Uh, when I escaped to downtown Vancouver, it's not to deny myself. It's to indulge and have fun. And I realized once again, I would make a really good rich guy. Like if I had the chance, I would do it right. Like, I would really set the bar. And um, as all good things come to an end, after a few days, uh, after my credit card was declined, I knew it was time to pack up and come home and, uh, and, and get everybody back to the normal life. And uh, there was an, a, a, an ice storm uh, that day that was, that was hitting a little bit further out. In Vancouver, it was just a rainstorm. So we checked out of the the hotel and took off, and as we made our way over the the Alec Fraser Bridge and we, we, uh, Port Mann, we got into uh, Surrey and out into the the, the lower mainland sections, uh, the temperature began to drop, the wind began to pick up, the rain started to turn to all different forms of frozen precipitation, and um, traffic began to slow down to a snail's pace. We got into Abbotsford, and it was like the highway was a skating rink. You could barely go anywhere. And the ice storm that hit in the lower mainland in those days was incredible. I've never seen any like, ice like that. The trees, we were, we were sitting on the highway going so slow. Trees were falling down all over the place, even across the highway. We saw some, a car get hit on the other side. Um, the weight of the ice, and so when we got to the end of Abbotsford and we hit and looked at the Sumas Prairie on the way out to Chilliwack, it was a complete whiteout. And uh, we were listening to uh, News 1130, the, 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 the kind of the, the traffic highlights on the radio out in the Lower Mainland. And we knew that all the way to Hope was terrible uh, and passed into the, the connector, the, the, the Coquihalla into the connector was even worse. And so we made the decision to turn around. And we went back into Abbotsford and got a hotel. Now, the hotel that we got last minute in an ice storm in Abbotsford was not so fancy compared to the nice one that we had in Vancouver. And after we checked in, we had seen that we had, we saw everything there was to see in the hotel. There was not really much to do. And we said, well, why don't we go and grab a movie and get something to eat? And so we took off and we were sitting in a restaurant in Abbotsford getting dinner for the kids and uh, the power went out. And uh, they told us that because of the fire code, they weren't allowed to have anybody in. So they kicked us out before we could finish our dinner. And there we were standing outside in an ice storm uh, on our way to the theater across the parking lot, and the power went out to the theater. And, uh, and we had got tickets, and so that we had bought tickets, so we went in to get a refund with about 5,000 other people with one nervous manager and an iPhone flashlight trying to hand out refunds with a line in the dark, and we thought, oh, forget it. And so we went to head back to the hotel, got back to the hotel only to discover the power was out in the hotel. And so there we sat, the five of us, eight o'clock, in a dark room in the hotel with no lights, no hot water, no heat, no nothing, and uh, no Wi-Fi, no Netflix, no anything. And, um, and there we just sat. And how quickly we had fallen from our glory the day before in Vancouver, where we had everything we could imagine at our disposal. And now we had nothing. Now I realized that People lived like that for like basically all of civilization before us and our generation. But it's not good. Take it from me. Nobody really wants to live like that. Like after you've had electricity and room service, why would you want to go without it? And so we sat there with, uh, with nothing to do. And we realized that denial and self-denial and going without and missing on things and the pleasures of life, uh, it's, it's not a lot of fun. And uh, going without stuff and denying ourselves and, and um, not getting what we want or think we deserve in the flesh is hard to do. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. And so he gives this talk, Jesus gives this talk to a large crowd. The scripture says it numbered in the thousands. They'd follow Jesus into the countryside to hear him teach. And um, his disciples come up to him and say, nightfall is almost here. And the people have no food and no place to to sleep tonight. Why don't you tell them, why don't you dismiss and tell them to go to the surrounding villages and find some shelter for the night and to get something to eat. And when Jesus hears this, he says, well, let's feed them. And so he has the the miracle of the loaves and fishes and, and and he feeds this crowd of thousands of people miraculously. And as I was preparing for this talk, I discovered something that I hadn't really noticed before about this scripture that says, deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me. You see, when Jesus gives those words to the crowd, it's actually right after he just feeds them. You see, the people have been given a miracle, and um, it's right after they've eaten, when they've where they're satisfied, when they're content. It's when they're actually having the warm fuzzies for this guy named Jesus who just miraculously gave them this food. And And Jesus looks at them in this moment when they're so content and so looked after, and Jesus is so miraculously provided for them. And, and Jesus looks at them, and it's in that moment that he says, if you want to follow me, you're actually going to have to deny yourself. It's like Jesus is saying to the crowd, don't Follow me because of the blessing I've given you. There's more to following me than getting stuff from me. And if you really want to follow me, if you really want to be my follower, you have to follow me into my death and resurrection and not just to my dinner table. Could it be that we're not that different than the people in the passage? We like to follow Jesus Into the beautiful countryside. We like to sit down and have the picnic that Jesus gave us and listen to Him teach. And we like to receive the miracles and know the Jesus that that blesses us and is so amazing. And we like that. Could it be that following Jesus when receiving His miracles and blessings is a lot easier than following Him in His death and His resurrection? Let me paraphrase verse 24 as I kind of read it in the uh, the, 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 the Johnson Amplified version. It says, if any of you are really serious about following me, you should know it's not always going to be a free picnic in the park. The days are coming when I won't be so popular and they're going to kill me and all who follow me will be hated. You will have to choose between holding on to your allegiance to me or bowing to to the Roman world and the God of this world and the systems of this world. And if any of you wanna become my followers, let them deny myself and take up their cross and follow me. And so what does Jesus mean when he says, take up your cross? Well, the Romans were masters at capital punishment by crucifixion and historians tell us there were, uh, there were three primary ways that uh, uh, crosses and styles of crucifixion. One was in an X, and uh, another was a straight pole where the arms of the, the prisoner were stretched up over their, their head and hands put together that way. And the more familiar picture we have of crucifixion is in the form of a T-cross, which is the, the, what we believe in the Christian tradition was how Jesus was crucified. And uh, the T-shaped cross was typically reserved for political enemies who refused to declare their allegiance uh, and submit to the Roman authorities and in a show of power the Romans would mock those who were being crucified by posting a sign over their head and saying that um, declaring that person's title and political allegiance and it was a way of mocking them to say this is what happens when you when you claim to belong to this or claim to follow this or be loyal to this, you are going to get crucified. And it was a way to mock whatever institution or power or government or allegiance that person had. And we believe that Jesus was on that that type of cross because that's the only cross that could accommodate putting a sign overhead. It's also important because the T-shaped cross was typically reserved for people who were political enemies of the Roman Empire. And so... Jesus would have been classified into that area as being identified as King of the Jews. And this is partly why we believe that Jesus was on that type of cross. And another reason is that typically only those who were crucified on the T cross um, underwent the march of shame before the crucifixion. And we see that this is something that Jesus did. The crowds would, uh, would mock and ridicule the prisoner. And this is, this is what would happen. They would take... The, the historians believe it was actually the cross beam. The, the whole cross would have been really, really large and over 300 pounds and would have been nearly impossible for a person to carry. And um, they believe that the cross, uh the, the, the pole would have likely been in the ground and been there and fashioned uh, fashioned into the ground. But they would have taken this cross beam, the centerpiece, this is the one we use typically for our Easter services. It wouldn't be to scale by any stretch, but they would take that that center cross piece. And they would put that on the prisoner's shoulders and strap his arms out over it. And the prisoner would have to carry it through the streets while he was mocked and ridiculed. It was a show of Roman power and Roman authority over that prisoner. It was like kind of adding insult to injury is the final uh, way to to mock and ridicule and punish the prisoner. And... um, If the prisoner refused to carry the cross, they would be tortured in the scourge. And um, the prisoners were beat so bad in the scourge that they they would either die from the beating and not even go to the crucifixion, or they would eventually give in because they would be more willing to carry the cross to their own crucifixion to just get out of the beatings that they were undergoing. And so they would... They would choose to do that and they would have that humiliation of carrying the very device to their own crucifixion, to their own death. And um, it was a brutal display of Roman dominance. And this is why it was typically reserved for people who were uh, political adversaries or, or, or setting themselves up or refusing to obey and submit to Roman authority. It was to make a spectacle out of them. And Jesus had to undergo this, this process. And you see, the people knew what crucifixion meant. They knew what carrying their cross meant. They'd seen it before. They knew the, the point of it all. And the point is that when Jesus says this, it's that the, the, the only ones who would willingly pick up the crossbeam and carry it were those who were making the statement that they refused to bow to the Roman control. Picking up your cross and carrying it to your crucifixion was the ultimate declaration that your heart belonged to someone or something else far greater than your own life. It was the final act of proclamation of your life was to pick up that cross and say, I believe in that thing I'm committed to. I believe in that thing I've pledged my allegiance to regardless of what comes my way, regardless of what the moments ahead bring me, I hold on to that. I've given my heart to that. And Jesus is saying that if you want to be my follower, it involves much more than the free lunch I've given you here. It's going to actually cost you something to hitch your wagon to mine, to have faith in me, to believe in me, to be my follower Jesus says, because you know where you're going to, if you want to be my follower, it means you're going to follow me, and guess where I'm going? The days ahead are not all going to be good. And Jesus goes on, and he talks about his coming, death and resurrection. And he says, that's what you have to follow me in, and you need to be willing to hold on to that belief and hold on to that conviction and hold on to that declaration. You need to be willing to pick up your own cross and follow me into my death and resurrection. And if we're to be loyal To Jesus, we must deny our sinful nature and deny the flesh and deny life on our terms, deny the things in this life and in this world that would seek to enslave us and control us and dictate the way life is to be to us. And we have to have a choice. Galatians says that we can crucify the flesh and live in Jesus And so we don't have the Roman Empire coming down against us, at least not right now in our culture today. But we have the gods of this world. We have the sinful nature. We have life on our terms, life the way we want it, that is trying to set itself up against us, trying to lead us astray, trying to dictate life and enslave us. And we have the option to say, Jesus, I want to die to that. I'm willing to pick up my cross and die to that so I can live for you, so your life can live in me. Scripture says in verse 25, for those who want to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. It's a great exchange in the gospel. We lay our life down say, Jesus, I give my life to you, and he in turn grants us eternal life, grants us abundant life, and provides for us. And so I'm gonna call the band to come and we're gonna get ready to close this morning and uh, they're, going to, they're just gonna uh, play one. But um, as we dismiss this morning, we wanna just pray for the baptism candidates. Wondering if those that got baptized this morning, uh, Olivia and Ava, if she's around, I know she was helping upstairs and kids, uh, if they can come. Is Olivia around and, and Ava? I think they're, uh, yeah, Olivia's here. I think Eve is, uh, she's on her way, she's coming, okay. Uh, we're gonna pray for, for them this morning, and um, the reason we, 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 we tied this in with the idea of deny yourself, because it is the living embodiment, baptism is the declaration of the, the, the that, that we, wanna, we wanna die to ourself and live in Jesus. And so they've made that declaration today and we celebrate with them in that. And so we're gonna pray for them. So what I'm gonna do is why don't you stand with us in this moment and um, we're gonna ask any friends, family or anybody who would like to come and stand with our baptismal candidates. Ava, why don't you come on this side, honey? And um, to come and stand, I think all of my family is upstairs in kids ministry. So if someone could come and pray with Ava, that would be amazing. And um, we will, uh, we're going to just have a, just a prayer of blessing and covering over uh, these people who are baptized today. And uh, it's, a, it's a monumental thing, it's a special thing. And so in this moment... Let's pray for these baptismal candidates that have made this declaration and made this choice to say, I wanna pick up my cross. I wanna follow you, Jesus. And so Jesus, we commit Olivia and Ava to you this morning. We pray that, Lord, this would be a significant day. It would be a step in their life that they would look back and know that it's a line in the sand. It's, it's, a, it's a step, God, that they made towards you, a step of obedience and faith. And Jesus, we pray for your faithfulness to be ever-present, for your very presence to be upon their lives, that they would walk closer to you, they would be near to you, you would draw them near to your presence. We pray, Lord, that as their future unfolds, that you would provide for them in every way that they need and they would not look to the left or the right or the voices that would try to ensnare them and distract them, but they would fix their eyes on you And they would remember that, Jesus, they believe in you, not just because of all the amazing stuff, but they believe in you because of the hard stuff, because of the cross and the cost involved and the price involved. And so, Jesus, I pray that even this day you would make real to them the commitment of their heart to you to deny themselves, deny life on their own terms, and that they would live for you and the resurrection of life of Jesus would live in them. We ask for your presence to be upon their lives in a significant way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.